so the uh, the kindergarten odyssey continues to evolve. Indeed. Um, uh, there, there is more work for parents in kindergarten than there is for kids. I just can't. I, you know, kinder, kindergarten is a moment in my life that for some odd reason, I was five, I happen to remember well. I don't know why. Yeah. There, I remember my kindergarten teacher. I remember the classroom. I remember, I remember oh, yeah. the first day of kindergarten. I remember what I wore. I remember what, I, I, yeah. all of it. I don't know why. Yeah. And I think you were one of those guys, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. Especially now, because my daughter is in her kindergarten classroom is the one that's next to mine. So you have, like, you're actually it's, living... It's, it's, <laughs> it's a PTSD moment. She's, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm walking the same stairs and halls, and it's freaking me out a little right, bit. Yeah, I think that's where it all starts, baby. I mean, it, it, it all goes well or wrong, starting with kindergarten. It does, and, you know, it's but it's a lot of weird work now. Like, I just remember, you know, naps and games and blocks and puzzles, and now there's just, like, there's books and homework, and we're doing homework with her, and, and you know, it's it, there's stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's I like, don't remember all of that. I, I remember it was a half a day. Yeah, uh, it involved uh, being forced to drink milk, which was horrible to me. I have no yeah. idea why I was forced to do that. And cookies, a lot of cookies. I remember a lot of cookies. Yeah, no, none of that right now. In fact, we've got a, uh, a rehearsal SAT scheduled for week after next. So. Holy moly! Yeah, I know. It's, I know. They just keep scaling it back, man. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, but we got her ready. She's gonna be good. She's gonna. Yeah, she's gonna get a sixteen hundred. I'm sure of it. Yeah. yeah. And then if not, we got thirteen years to to, to work on it, right? Too funny. That's, That's so ridiculous. Crazy. That's so crazy. So uh, let's well, let's let's just dive right in yeah, this week. Uh, not much happening in entertainment. We're all looking down at the awards season now. So you know what? Um, cover some classic movies. We got our, our our giant bunch of classics right now, and there's some really great stuff that's come out uh, this week. Uh, they have finally released on 4K Ultra HD the X Men three film collection. Now, yes. if you are not a fan of the Brett Ratner uh, film, then I, I would say don't get this. Just get the first two, uh, X-Men and X2. Uh, it's the third one, X-Men The Last Stand, direct when Brett Ratner stepped in for Brian Singer, uh, that it just all kind of turned to a mess and eventually got right again. But boy, that, that third film is really just a dog. Uh, I actually think X2 is better than the original X-Men. Oh, yes. Well, you're right. It is. It is. Yeah, 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 far and away. Yeah. It's coherent, for one thing. The original X-Men, I'm sorry, that movie goes flat out goofy in the third act. That's where it was. It just, it kind of loses it at the end. It's yeah. great It's great for about 90 minutes. Yeah. And then it just kind of starts you fumbling just, you know, things. You know where it is, and they, they figure, you know what, we'll fix it in the, in the next movie. And they yeah. did. And they did. They did. But anyway, uh, it's great. In case you forgot... You know, there are a lot of people in uh, in the uh, the first three X-Men films that kind of went away later, Halle Berry being one of them. Mm-hmm. By the way, you remember she was once part of the X-Men. and uh, Rebecca Romaine. Romaine uh, yeah, no, I exactly. Guess not oh, you know, whatever. Uh, whatever she was. Yeah. Rebecca Romaine. At the time. At the time. Uh, yeah, she by was. God. Before it, she was replaced by uh, Jennifer uh, Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence, yeah. So Perfect weird. replaces. But you know what? Rebecca Romaine and that little blue, whatever, the, with the little blue stickies. Yeah. Yeah. Forget about it. Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to top that. Well, and X2 also has one of the coolest openings of any X-Men movie ever. Oh, one yeah. One of the coolest. So, uh, you know, that, that right there in the White House yeah. and all that. Yeah, it's just, that's just a fabulous sequence. Dramatic. Uh, so, anyway, lots of, uh, you know, good extras on here that you've probably already seen, the audio commentaries, the behind-the-scenes stuff. This isn't new. These aren't new extras. But being able to see the movies in 4K... Fox did a really good job. They did a really, really good job. Uh, you know, this is uh, CGI seems to take a leap every generation, and it's taken a leap even since what they were doing in these films. 
but it's still really top notch, and especially in 4K, and the audio is great. It's a it's a lot of fun. So uh, 4K three disc set uh, for the um, or three film set on Ultra HD 4K uh, from Fox. It's nice. It's slim. It's in a single keep case. You get definitely gonna want to get this. Uh, be great for the holidays too. May even bring that one back. Uh, the, the original barbershop movie. Believe it or not, it was 2002. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that insane? Unbelievable. Uh, uh, this movie, believe it or not, I mean, it has become iconic. Uh, a lot of folks in this movie, for one thing, obviously Ice Cube, uh, yeah, Anthony Anderson, Cedric the Entertainer, uh, who now I think is just Cedric or something. And, and I'm also going to go out on a limb and say Barbershop 2. Better than better barbershop. than barbershop, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because well, it has it has that great flashback stuff. Because they they dressed up. I mean, it's really smart because Cedric is dressed up older than he actually is. Yeah, you're able to do those civil rights era flashbacks. Yeah, and, and, that's and a, have him play his actual age. And yeah. it's kind of Godfather two ish in a way, right? Yeah, you suddenly, which of course which Tim Story knew. You you yeah, of course <laughs> yeah. you 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 get into this Kevin back, Rodney Sullivan. You do this flashback backstory that now makes the whole. The whole two film saga even richer, and yeah. you understand the characters better. And it's, it's and he except he didn't have to hire Robert De Niro to play the young mm-hmm. Cedric. Yeah, but between the two, of course, is Beauty Shop, Queen yeah. Latifah's movie, yeah. which is funny because you know Queen Latifah and all those girls are in Barbershop too. Yeah. Uh, so so, so uh, you know these movies all together now uh, make up a little iconic tr- you know treasure they trove they of, of sort of iconic American films yeah. that are very 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 funny. Um, uh, these uh, special edition DVDs. Well, Barbershop is a special edition. Uh, DVD uh, with all sorts of special features on it, including audio commentaries by Tim Story and the producer. Beauty Shop is just a DVD um, um, uh, with a few uh, special features on it, too, including a featurette. And then Barbershop 2, also a special edition, again, with uh, cast video commentaries from Cedric the Entertainer and a whole bunch of other people. Neat. Kind of wish that Tim Story had not gone on to do that uh, Fantastic Four movie. You, 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 I know why he did. Yeah. Paycheck. You yeah. can't turn it down. Yeah. Marvel says, hey, here, we want to do Fantastic Four. Why would you not do that? I get it. But at the same time, um, I, kind of, I kind of wanted him to do more, you know, to yeah. go in the art film, the more personal films. It's an interesting thing, and and yeah, you go, he went for the money. People he forget. Money. People hate that movie, that Fantastic Four movie. Yeah. People forget the, that the, that movie made a ridiculous amount of money. And it's better than the yeah, than the reboot. It's better than the reboot. That re- yeah, that yeah. reboot was dreadful. So you know, it's very strange sort of circumstance. Yeah. So also on 4K, we got a couple of Punisher movies. Now the Punisher has become uh, quite a bit of a minor success on Netflix as a spinoff from Daredevil, and uh, and the you know the the, the Defenders. Uh, universe, but um, we've had Punishers in the movies before, and uh, we've got the Punisher and Punisher Warzone out on 4K Ultra HD. Um, different actors playing the Punisher, really interesting stuff. Now, Thomas Jane uh, plays the Punisher in The Punisher along with John Travolta. We're going to talk about Travolta uh, again in a moment. Very unfortunate thing. Um, the original Punisher... Look, I'm not a huge fan of the Punisher to begin with. Nah. It wasn't until Daredevil brought him in that I was like, now I understand this character. And they now we've created a... you know, like they, I think it, it's Dare, what is it, Daredevil Season 2, yeah. somewhere in the middle, where he and... Basically, there's an entire episode of Daredevil and the Punisher on the roof 
having an existential conversation about yeah. life and the meaning of life and morality and all this stuff. And you just think that's kind of cool. That's what you can do on streaming and Netflix. You can, you can put two guys, you can have an action series in which there's really no action. And just these two heroes or these, an anti-hero and a hero sitting on a roof, talking to each other for an episode. And I still want to see it. The grand irony being that their perspectives being different, but it leaves them in the same place. It does. And see, <laughs> that's what made the writing so good. Uh, but in any case, that doesn't really find its way into the Thomas Jane Punisher, which is not a very good mo- uh, movie. Looks great. Uh, it's very dark, as you would expect. Um, Jane kind of doesn't. I love Thomas Jane as an actor, but it's you know Jonathan Hensley is a really really good director. Um, there's an audio commentary with Hensley that's interesting, but for whatever reason, you know this just kind of misses the mark. Um, I was not always a great fan of Warzone. Uh, Punisher Warzone, uh, which uh, stars Ray Stevenson uh, as, uh, uh, as the Punisher. Um, different inca- incarnation. I didn't particularly like his take mm-hmm. until I, our, our good friend Luke uh, Thompson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Luke, a very, yeah. Luke is working on a think piece, which I will not preempt. I'm not going to steal any of his thunder. But he's working on a really interesting think piece and a very interesting take on the Punisher films and the Punisher character. We're, and he argues that Punisher Warzone is a bit of a, a minor masterpiece. Might, he might take away the word minor. Anyway, I'll, I'll repost that on our, uh, on our Facebook page and, um, and let everybody kind of get a gander at that when he's done with it. It's a very interesting idea, and he has forced me to sort of reconsider this film. So I'm not entirely yet convinced, but I want to read what he writes about it because, again, he's more schooled in this character than I am. But yeah. there are – it is very different. Let's just say Punisher Warzone is a different Punisher from what you get with the Thomas Jane film. And um, it's – you know, it, 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 it again, it's these are all individual directors and writers who are using these characters to – as vehicles for different ideas. Mm. So it's all very interesting stuff. Interesting stuff indeed. Uh, Uncle Drew. Uh, oh, my gosh. It, it, for, on 4K. You know what? This movie was just so stupid funny. <laughs> it, it, I mean, stupid preceding funny, by yeah. the way. And stupid meaning funny when it's stupid. And then it's yeah. actually funny when it's funny. Uh, uh, Shaquille O'Neal and, uh, and Chris Webber and a bunch of old NBA guys uh, dressed up like old men who yep. were formerly NBA yeah. guys. Uh, and they come in, you know, this goofy kid playing this tournament. Yeah. And it's just dumb. Uh, it, but it's funny, and it kind of gave a nice platform for these guys to do kind of what was going on in those barbershop movies yeah. that we talked about, yeah. uh, you know, from uh, you know eighteen almost twenty years ago now. Uh, look, I'm a sucker. I love Shaq. Yeah. I we used to go to as many Laker games as we could possibly afford. I am so honored that I saw the big guy play. Yeah, that is best. relatively close. Yeah. Uh, he is a philanthropist. He is a businessman. He doesn't take himself too seriously. He is a larger-than-life man and a larger-than-life personality. I will see him do anything because he doesn't take himself too seriously. Shaq in Uncle Drew mm. is hilarious. Oh, yeah. And everything else in this movie is actually quite a lot of fun, too. Yeah. It's a silly movie that just, that just knows it's out there to have fun. But Shaq, done up like the old dude... I'm sorry. It's just it's I, fantastic. That's it. That, it's, I'm done. It's funny. It's I'm fun. done. Uh, a lot of neat stuff on this uh, 4K Ultra DVD. Uh, deleted scenes. Blah blah blah. Cool stuff. Got another 4K. Big 4K bonanza this mm. week. Uh, we got a ton of them still. Uh, American Psycho, the uncut version, is out on 4K. Uh, just in time for Halloween. This everybody. Everyone else is kind of saying this movie is so prescient. It's it's day. It's aged really well. It's about now. It's about me too. 
No, it isn't. It's about a guy who kills women. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's not. That's not. The, the, in, in, in the worst possible way. Um, this uh, is it, a, who may or may not kill women depends on how you read that movie. Yeah, true. Yeah. I mean, it's look. It's uh, th- 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 there's more going on here. This is really a. The whole movie is a bit of an allegory. It's an allegory about what uh, cutthroat Wall Streeters do on a daily basis to each other, yeah. to investors, to the general public, to the economy. You know, there's a certain mindset that views money uh, not as a means to an end, barely an end in and of itself. But in this case, it's sport. Yeah. You know, and that's and and that's sort of the meditation here. Uh, Is the movie as good as the book? I don't know. I never read the book. Uh, What what sort of does blow me away looking back on this is that Reese Witherspoon's in this movie. Yeah. Um, It was it was a controversial movie at the time. Yeah. Uh, who directed that? Mary was it? Mary Heron. Yes, it was. Uh, and uh, it was a controversial movie at the time. Uh, it, it, you know, and it had to do with the way people because were reading it, whether or not you were reading it literally or not. And also because a woman had directed it, yeah. who had some credibility with I Shot Andy Warhol and her other films, as somebody who was able to capture a certain uh, feminist sentiment. If this had been directed by a man, it would have been a different film, and it would oh, have yeah. been well, ridiculed yeah. to height. To, yeah. uh, to, uh, Adrian, to no Adrian Lyme would might have yeah. been. Yeah, been, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, it is. Um, uh, look, I mean, the movie's controversial. The book was controversial. Christian Bale is kind of weird in it, um, but uh, you it's know, an interesting artifact. It doesn't hold up. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that doesn't hold up at all. Uh, the, the Seagull uh, adaptation of the Chekhov. Uh, to me, beautifully rendered. I really, really love this. What I love most about it was a Saoirse Ronan and Annette Bening. Uh, playing opposite ends of the spectrum, Annette Bening obviously being the famous elderly actress uh, married to uh, uh, the younger the younger man uh, who falls in love with Saoirse Ronan uh, and, 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 and who will win this tug of war yeah. over this man, uh, this dastardly and cunning older woman or this young woman and Saoirse Ronan is just mm-hmm. so mesmerizing in yeah. this film. Beautifully shot, beautifully rendered in just about every way. Uh, Corey Stoll, too. Uh, man, that guy. Uh, uh, you know, I, and it's funny because when Saoirse Ronan finally kind of, uh, when she burst onto the scene, I thought, okay, and it was, what was it, Atonement? Was Atonement, Atonement, Atonement yeah. was the one that got her the Oscar nomination. Well, yeah, yeah. And, she was still a little girl then, but yeah. And she's a little girl, and, and you know, when you, when you suddenly have an actress or an actor, but, but very often actresses in the, in the case of these British period films who sort of explodes with so much energy and so much vitality and gets an Oscar nomination is suddenly the next new thing. You, you get into, you know, at least I do, I get into my head and I start thinking, okay, now where's her career going to go? How how castable is she? Can she can she play off the British accent? Can mm. she do other accents? Can she play American? Will she be able to age into something more interesting as an adult? What's she going to look like? What's her? Mm. You know, you sort of start trying to invent a career for them. And I am the first person to say I am terrible at doing that because <laughs> it they, they never wind up being the actor that I think they're going to be. Mm. And she's another example. Like she has gone on to do so many interesting things and it shows such a range. Oh yeah, that I never. I mean, from from Hannah, a little crazy action thing she yeah. did with Eric Bana. Yeah. Uh, to Lady Bird. Lady Bird. You know, no, year, years see. ago, Brook, uh, uh, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Uh, uh, whatever. I, the accent, not the accent. Yeah, uh, you know, always luminous, and and she's absolutely extraordinary in this uh, in this uh, version of uh, of uh, the the uh, the seagull. Um, special features include a Q and A with them at the Tribeca Film Festival, and a Q and A with Annette Bening and director Michael Mayer. 
So we got some uh, stuff kind of Halloween-ish. We, you know, I, I don't think we're going to be able to do a Halloween show this year because all this stuff is coming out so much earlier. It's we're not even. I mean, we're we're more than a month away from Halloween, yeah. and all the Halloween stuff's already coming out. So yeah. they're getting such a crazy jump on it. I think when we get closer to Halloween, and we're not going to have any Halloween material left. So um, maybe we'll do a special show anyway, and just you know, just play scary sounds. So Michael Winner. Uh, the guy who directed Death Wish was a bit of a thing in the 70s. Michael mm-hmm. Winner did a lot of genre films. And he was a, you know, he was a solid, solid craftsman at the time. And this is one that really has probably never been given the, the due, its proper due. Um, Scream for Help. Really, really interesting movie. Maybe one of his very, very best. And it's, yes, it's one of those, you know, um, woman in jeopardy movies that that has been criticized so much for you know like like Afraid of the Dark was mm. one right with Audrey Hepburn and and uh, Alan Arkin that was one of the first ones and uh, certainly Psycho kind of goes in mm-hmm. that as well Halloween which we'll talk about again in this yeah, well. you know, a, a woman woman being chased by a psycho and people are like that is so exploitative it's you know it's it's just a, it's reinforcing a stereotype well unfortunately it's a stereotype that is still too very real uh, every day in the news we we see these things so the question to me is always is the movie exploiting that particular scenario, or does it have something interesting to say about it? Is it giving us insight that makes us more thoughtful about mm-hmm. something that is an unfortunate daily reality? And I think Scream for Help does. I think Scream for Help is a lot smarter than anybody has uh, ever given it credit for being. This movie was made in 1984, and right kind of at the tail end of when Michael Winner's relevance was, was going away. Uh, but it is... Um, uh, it, it it deals with a family situation. It's about a teenage girl who discovers that her stepfather is planning on killing her mother, mm-hmm. and that makes it so much more interesting than than what this otherwise could have been. Uh, some of the performances are a little you know overmodulated, but uh, otherwise performances are are, are are what the film needs. Uh, Rachel Kelly, David Brooks, Marie Masters. Uh, it, it's a it's a it's a good cast. Produced by executive Erwin uh, Yablins, who's uh, related to Frank Yablins, if you're keeping track of that. Written by Tom Holland, you know, savage mm-hmm. Tom Holland, as he's otherwise known uh, at the time. And uh, Michael Winter does some really, really good job. That's from Scream Factory, and that's, uh, that'll get you ready for Halloween. I uh, love the title of this movie. This is the kind of movie that would have been really popular in the middle 90s. Uh, I had to review it for the show. Izzy gets the fuck across town. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and I like it because, A, it's literally what happens in the movie. You got it's, this, it's also the title. It's the title of the movie. Uh, Mackenzie Davis uh, is this uh, gal named Izzy. It's just kind of like, like How a, was this film handled at the time on, on radio and television? How did they, what did they, Izzy gets the blank across town? How did they review That's this? what Larry said. When he Is introduced that what it on film, on, on film, on film work, I remember that specifically. <laughs> I remember that very specifically. Uh, it, so you know, and okay. I don't know, you know, I don't know how they hurt themselves. Uh, um, so anyway, um, uh, and uh, and she was kind of like a uh, sort of like a one hit wonder, sort of a little pop girl, maybe yeah. 10, 10, 15 years ago with her sister. They had this hit song. And since then, she's still been sort of like you know playing the circuit and doing the thing. The thing of it is, she's just an awful girl. She's just terrible, <laughs> uh, and you know, and and, and uh, everybody's just sick of her. Uh, and uh, and 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 her boyfriend, her ex boyfriend, is about to get married uh, on the other side of town, uh, and she's going to do everything she can and interrupt every life of every friend that she has in order to get them to help her get over there to that wedding that she is not invited to, uh, so she can ruin it uh, and get her boyfriend back. 
Uh, and it's one of those movies, you know. Uh, and again, in the middle '90s, this would have been a mo- this same movie, but it would have been a boy instead of a girl. You know, it's sort of the graduate. Uh, you know, I suppose it's charming in a certain sort of way. There really is a lovely moment in it um, uh, where where they perform that that hit that she and her sister had uh, for that one moment. They had a they had a you know a little moment where they almost made it. And I loved it. It sort of wanders across our L.A. Wade and Mai's L.A. Mm-hmm. And all through Silver Lake and all of this animating. You, you just sort of see these places that we go and hang out. And it's one of those kind of movies. But you know, if you don't actually live here, I don't get, suppose you'll give a damn about that. Audio commentary with the director uh, and writer. Um, you know, so you know, sassy. If you like the Kevin, the sort of middle '90s Kevin Smith world of movie making. Yeah. This lives in that zone. Love it. Only today. Yeah. Why not? Got a couple more from uh, Scream Factory. One is the very underrated Straight Jacket. Now, this movie gets so maligned, and I think unfairly, because Joan Crawford is is doing her very best uh, self-parody here. Yeah. Uh, Straight Jacket was directed by William Castle, the yeah. legendary William Castle. And uh, it was written by Robert Block, we should remember, who also wrote Psycho. So there's a lot of Psycho in this, and there's a lot of William Castle in this in, in terms of the exploitation sensibilities. But here's the deal. Straight Jacket is a really interesting film in the sense that it predates things like, uh, well, it's, it's obvi- he's obviously still working out a lot of the same issues in Psycho, except he's, he's projected it onto a female, onto mm-hmm. a woman, and it's a, it's a more feminist uh, take on the Psycho concept. Uh, but it's also still very much dealing with the same things. And you can project this forward into stuff like Halloween, mm-hmm. Friday the 13th. Rosemary's which, Baby, which, of course, he produced. People yes. forget William Castle produced Rosemary's yes, Baby. Yes, he did. And the idea here is, so you've got uh, Joan Crawford is, uh, she, you know, she, uh, she, uh, her husband's sleeping with another woman. She catches into bed together and she whips out the axe and loses her mind and just chops him up into little bitty pieces in the bed and uh, goes away to a mental institution, not realizing that her, her daughter witnessed this and it, it, it and scarred her and mm. did a number on her, which uh, I think it was the, what is it, the third or fourth Friday the 13th movie that kind of, does a little bit of that with the, with Corey. Oh, where, yeah. Where, where Corey witnesses all this stuff, and then at the end, he's, like, turning into the new Jason. Is yeah. it the final chapter? I can't remember, anyway. Uh, so, um, Corey Feldman. Corey Feldman, know, yeah. Is sort of, that that's, a, that's very much inspired by what happens in this movie. Anyway, she gets out years later, moves in with her brother, and, and things, people are dying from axe murders again. Fill in the blanks. You can kind of figure out what's going on. Anyway, um, uh, lots of extras on here. There's a new audio commentary with Steve... Haberman and David Shaw, uh, who are experts in this film and everything to do with it, and they will contextualize it. It's a really fun commentary. There's uh, some vintage stuff uh, on Joan Crawford that I've never seen before, never heard of before. It's really, really fun, and stuff on the making of it. There's costume and makeup tests with Joan Crawford. Um, there's a screen test that is hilarious. Uh, it's really a lot of fun. So Scream Factory did a great job digging up some some really good stuff for that one. And I'm also going to defend their other release, their other kind of Halloween-y related uh, release, which is Exorcist II, The Heretic. Now, there are a handful of guilty pleasures I have that are movies that are widely and widely despised and reviled by a lot of people. <laughs> and Exorcist 2 is one of them. Uh, as many people love The Exorcist, they will r- routinely say Exorcist 2 is the worst of the series. It's an abomination. It's one of the worst films ever made. I think Exorcist 2 is fun. I don't care what people say. The heretic. 
Part of it is I'm a big fan and apologist for John Borman. Even yeah. when John Borman makes bad movies, they're interesting bad movies. Zardoz? Yeah, Sean Connery. Yeah, with that okay. diaper. That with that red diaper. diaper. <laughs> I'm okay with Zardoz. It's a weird, funky, <laughs> original. Excalibur is great, but it's also interesting. I watched that the other day. Yeah. <laughs> I, t- I turned it on. It's because yeah. it's on Filmstruck right yeah, now. Yeah. And I saw it, and it's going away soon. And I was like, I'm going to watch Excalibur right yeah. now. Even though I've got it down in the garage, I'm going to watch it again. And uh, boy, did I, 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 you know, that was one, that film made such an impression on me, but it's amazing how much I'd forgotten. Yeah. It really is. I mean, that cast. Patrick Stewart, Patrick Stewart, yeah. Helen Mirren. Yeah. Uh, 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 I mean, it's like you just you, you go through it. Liam Neeson. It's yeah. incredible how many people are in that movie. Yeah. Gabriel Byrne. It's, you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize what an all-star cast they had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's These people great. all went on to think. Anyway, Exorcist II, The Heretic. Uh, it, look, it's, it's completely out of its mind. It's an absolutely bonkers. There are two cuts of the film here. The uh, director's cut is 117 minutes. Makes marginally more sense than the the shorter version. It's, it's, you know, the shorter version is 102 minutes, um, and they did a great job restoring all of this. Borman does a commentary on the director's cut. Doesn't really make sense. He does try to justify the film a little bit. It's okay. He doesn't need to apologize for it. I'm going to tell him right now, John. Don't apologize for this film. <laughs> you, you have nothing to apologize for. The film's cool. You just you, you went pure gut, pure id, and you just put it out there. You weren't trying to do The Exorcist all over again. You're trying to do something of your own. You do your own take on it. Uh, there was no reason for The Exorcist to even have a sequel. No. It didn't need a sequel. But they, they, they had to try to go to that well one more time. And, you know, you took a swing at it. Yeah. And it was a brave swing at, at just saying, let's just do this. Yeah, it's not, not like, it's, not, it's not like he made, they, they, they did that again, you know. There's an Exorcist 3. Yeah, yeah so, I know. You know yeah. so, so he's good. You're good, John. Look, look they, they even have, a new, inter- they, they have a, a new interview with Linda Blair, which is interesting, and some other little uh, tidbits on here. Look, man, uh, this is a brave attempt to make a sequel to a film that didn't need a sequel and to do something original. Don't don't slam him for it. Exorcist Two: The Heretic Collector's Edition from Scream Factory. Yeah, John Borman. John Borman directed. That's my phone. John Borman directed. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. that was your watch. Yeah, yeah that's fancy. <laughs> I'm fancy. We got a big day today. There's a lot of a lot of stuff going on. It's, uh, John Borman directed Deliverance, so you know. Yeah, he'll be fine. <laughs> nobody's gonna. Yes, nobody's gonna remember that. Uh, the Puppet Master. The Littlest Reich. So this is a reimagining, it's what they call it, a reimagining of the 1989 Puppet Master film, which is a neat film uh, within the context of the genre. I love these films because they, they would actually build things. The puppets yeah. were there, pre-CGI. Yep. This does that, too. They, they, they build all these little stupid puppets. You know, it's about this guy who gets divorced, goes home, finds this puppet, uh, and it's how he's going to take this, this puppet, puppet to a, a convention, sell it, you know, try to make it for <laughs> bucks. Pu- puppet's been cursed. Cursed puppet. Oh, I hate cursed yeah. puppets. And infects all the other puppets. <laughs> now we've got a bunch of... It's Charles Band. They're so stupid. They're great, and it's funny. Uh, Thomas Lennon in this, and he's such a wry comedic sort of yeah. with that face and thing that he does. That he does. Um, so it's, it's crazy. It's kind of fun. I rather enjoy it. Um, uh, and it's from the producers. They, they say specifically on the box here of this 4K Ultra DVD of Bone Tomahawk and The Meg, The Meg being that big sure. stupid shark movie with Jason uh, Statham uh, and Bone Tomahawk, which is actually pretty good. A lot of special features on this thing. Uh, well, a few spe- special features on this thing, including the, well, a little videotape featuring the cast. Then I have this absolutely horrible, really, really, really bad sorority kill movie called The Row. You know, like Sorority Row. This is mm. called The Row. Uh, you got uh, Layla Kent in this movie specifically. Layla Kent is was a, a reality show star. I can't remember what show. Uh, it was because I don't care. 
Uh, uh, but uh, she was. I know that for sure. And she's in this sort of uh, sorority kill movie. You know, these pledges are, are it's during it's pledge week, and they're pledging these sororities and uh, and rushing and doing all this kind of stuff. Vanderpump Rules. That's what it was. Vanderpump Rules. And and, uh, and girls are getting killed. Girls are getting killed. Somebody's killing the girls. Uh, the kill scenes are terrible. The camera is too shaky. None of these people can act. This movie sucks. Uh, director's commentary. And we've got the original Halloween on 4K. So here's the thing: the Halloween had. There's a new Halloween movie yeah. that just debuted to great reviews, by the way, at Toronto. Yeah. Uh, you know, which which I didn't expect, but um, and I'm looking forward to it. We'll see how how it is. It's amazing how this franchise continues to thrive. How with, all franchises continue to thrive. I know. It's I, crazy. I'm going to stop talking about it. I'm over it's myself. Just, we, we had a Mad Max film get nominated yeah. for best at, best picture. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. just like. Decades after the fact. I'm holding solo over here. (laughs) Anyway. I know. Anyway, the original Halloween finally gets the 4K treatment. Now, Halloween was the original low-budget slasher film that started it all. And we got to remember, Friday the 13th is a spinoff from from Halloween. The idea, mm. hey, they made a movie with a guy with a mask running around killing people. We can, we can, let's get a mask. Let's get a hockey mask. Yeah, that's even easier. We you don't, don't need any. They they realize you don't you don't need any movie stars. You're going to kill all the kids in the movie. Yeah, and the guy under the mask can be damn near anybody. Yeah, that's it. It's smart. That's the way they do it. By the way, a little bit of trivia. Do do we remember what the mask is of? Uh, do I know? do. Yeah. Shall we tell them? Yes, let's tell them. You tell them. It's a. It's a William Shatner Halloween mask painted melted. white. And melted. Just and a melted just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, he actually looks like the mask now. It's true, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's his face. It became uh, his face. So I just, I just love that. I love the fact that, it's a, that you know, the Shat finds his way everywhere yeah. these days. I love him. So uh, anyway, the, the original story of Michael Myers is actually psychologically really interesting. This is not just a relentless kill fest and exploitation film. There's a really interesting story here, and John Carpenter uh, is not often given enough credit for that. The, the transfer is really interesting. They've, they've gone out of their way to um, use everything that there is available in 4K to give the best possible look to a movie that didn't look that great originally, that was made with very little money, uh, you know, not the best photography, low light, sharp light. And so there's a, there are some tricks that are going on here with the 4K to actually wind up degrading the 4K a little bit. So mm. it's 4K that could have ruined this film by showing you things that you should never have seen. Right. And this reminds me when I I, I I say this all the time about about 4K about you know the yeah. extremely yeah you have to you have to take the edge off a little bit sometimes you can't go you can't push it all the way to what what it's capable of. I remember once I saw a 2K projection uh, at Warner Brothers, which was a demonstration at the time mm-hmm. of uh, Robin Hood, the original Robin Hood, Adventures of Robin Hood, Errol Flynn, and uh, we had a discussion afterwards, you know, and and they said, look. We are we're we're doing 4K of everything. We master in 4K. We archive in 4K uh, because you can always make it take it down. Mm-hmm. You want to go, but when we project it, you know, like something like Robin Hood, you're going to project this in 2K, and we do have to take the edge off because otherwise you're going to realize that they're chainmail, mm-hmm. that those are just sweaters. Yeah, you're going to realize that those trees. Yeah. It's paper mache. Yeah. And all of that stuff, those cinematographers at the time understood the limitations of the film, yeah. of the film stock. What, and they understood what film would allow. Film would allow. So I can get away <laughs> with doing this, that, and the other thing. If you're a DP, if you're an art director, a set director, a production designer, costumer, you knew 
all working together on the same crew, you knew what the film would and would not reveal. Mm -hmm. And as now that we live in an era where we can go to the original negative and you can sharpen that stuff up to the point where you can reveal things that they didn't want to reveal, you've got to be responsible and honor their artistic vision. You have to think about it in the first place. You do. And a lot of times when they first started doing this, it was just all about, oh, it's going to be so sharp. And, and, and they yeah. didn't, no, it never even occurred to them. You know... I think Vittorio Storuro wanted yeah. that to look like that. The first Blu-ray of Casablanca was terrible because they took the grain out. They thought, hey, we can get rid of the grain. Awesome. No, 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 we want the grain. It's supposed to be there, you dumbasses. Oh Come God. on. Oh so anyway, mm. Halloween is a good example of people who understood that the we just because we have 4K, this movie should not be pushed all the way to, to what 4K is capable of doing. Way, let, let me say that this should apply to 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 cinematography uh, for films today in in the first place. In other words, just because you can, I just shot a movie, shot at 4K. Yeah. I don't want I I, I'm, I don't want that movie ever to be seen projected at, at, in 4K. Not ever, not yeah. ever. I, I want to make that movie look like it was shot on a film stock from about 1972. There you go. I want it to look like uh, five easy pieces. Yep. Uh, which means that I don't that they and, and the 4K allows me to reduce and and and, yes. and correct to that, but I don't ever want that movie to just live raw 4K. No, I don't want it to look like that. No. So that's, that's so bra so bravo to uh, to the people over at Lionsgate for doing a really good job with uh, Halloween on 4K and uh, good extras here. Uh, the audio commentary with John Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis. A couple of featurettes. One of them is you know 25 years later. Uh, and then some, you know, advertising stuff from TV and radio at the time, which is always really fun. This yeah. movie, the, the promo campaign for this movie at the time was really terrific. It's worth watching the TV spots and hearing the radio spots. Uh, we've also got Phantasm 3 and 4. Now, Phantasm 3 came 15 years after Phantasm 2 um, because Don Coscarelli realized... I'm really not going to have much of a career doing anything else. So I might, I might as well. I've been trying to get other things going in 15 years. Hell with it. I'm the guy that made Phantasm. I'm going to make Phantasms until the day I die. I'll be the Phantasm gonna, guy. I'm just going to ride Phantasm as long as I can, as long as, you know, uh, the, 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 the tall man lives. So uh, anyway, uh, getting, the, the plot particulars of these movies are a little bit silly. Uh, there's audio commentary on both of these, and um, I'm going to say Phantasm 3 is actually a, a really interesting film. Phantasm 4 is is, is kind of ri ridiculously stupid. It, it gets into, you know, like, it, it just it changes the character uh, of the tall man played by Angus Scrim, who also has really not, he's never done anything else, has he? No. Angus Grimm's just no, only his, ever been the that's, that's what he does. So so he kept Don Coscarelli employed, and Don Coscarelli kept him employed, and it worked out for them both. That's what he does. That's what he does. All right. So anyway, uh, yeah this this gets into a this gets into a whole weird space time continuum thing that just it it it's a little bit too apocalyptic and a little bit too. Uh, I don't know. It's just not Phantasm. Uh, but Phantasm Three is very much in the spirit of the first two, and uh, it's got a you know it's got a it's got a good low budget vibe to it. So um, yeah, 
Why not? Fantasma, mm. both of those from Wellgo on Blu-ray. First time they've been available on Blu-ray. Uh, it's worth checking out. Uh, I have a um, Australian science fiction film, kind of a low budget Australian science fiction film called The Occupation. Uh, there has been an, an, an alien invasion. There is a small town, not exactly in the outback, but a, you know, a smallish town yeah. uh, that musters, musters together the forces to resist uh, the alien invasion. Um, and uh, you know, this is all about that, that, that Aussie uh, grit and gumption. Uh, and how uh, it's going to be some uh, small town in the Australian near outback that saves us all from a bunch of crazy aliens. And I suppose that's cool. Uh, I can go with that. Um, uh, nevertheless, not a lot on this. It, the movie's kind of okay. A lot of CGI. I would have preferred it if they would have just you know put a bunch of guys in costumes. They do for a few, but a lot of CGI. Not exactly my thing. Blu-ray and DVD. Um... Superfly. Oh, the new one. Yeah. Uh, Director X knocking off a new version of Superfly set out of Atlanta and Harlem in the present day. I reviewed this on Film Week. You reviewed it on Film Week. You you, You rather liked it. I finally saw it, and I like it too. I am surprised at how much I like it because the the our obvious impulse is what are you possibly gonna do? I remember when I first saw the the billboard for this, I thought what are you doing? You're taking you're taking a, a film, and we talked about this previously when the, with the recent Blu-ray of the original Superfly, that you're talking about comparing a Superfly to Shaft. One was independent, one was studio, one directed by father, one directed by the son, mm-hmm. representing one is about a, a, you know, a heroic cop figure, the other is about a, an anti-hero mm-hmm. criminal. There's a really a fascinating dichotomy there. Dichotomy you, can there. Just, you can just see it. And it belongs to a certain era. And my first thought was, okay, you're, you're taking this film out of its context, out of its its era, out of its family dynamic, out of its uh, uh, business dynamic of the film industry at the time, indie studio, and you're just remaking it. What possible point is there going to be to a remake of this film in the here and now? I, I don't get it. You're, you're taking it away from its music. Mm-hmm. You're taking it, you know. It's, it's even in a different city. It's a different city. Like, you're literally removing this thing from everything that made the original film relevant. So what are you possibly going to hope to do with it? I walked in so, so cynical and so skeptical. And I was so impressed that they found a nugget in the film that I never really understood was there. They found something in the character that I'm not even sure the original film knew was there. Mm. But they were able to transform it and make it relevant in a really interesting way. It has a lot to say about ambition and wealth and, um, and, and morality and choices and family and crime. And, and culture. The, and yeah. culture. And it takes minor characters from the original film... And does some really interesting things with them, mm-hmm. supporting characters. It changes them, and it gives them a different, especially the cops, right? It does some really interesting stuff. And, I, and I'm not going to give any of it away, but it really, they saw something in the original film that, is, that matters in the here and now. And I give them all the credit in the world. Well, in the midst of the uh, Me Too movement, there are yep. a few things that they had to account yes. for here. Yeah. That, you know, there were things that went on in that original Superfly, who was a pimp. Uh, yeah. uh, and uh, and his dynamic with women, uh, yeah. his girlfriends, plural. Yeah, uh, they, which they he still to, has girlfriends here. Yeah, but these girlfriends know each other, and they, <laughs> and, and they think and they think each other are cute. Yeah. Uh, and he's uh, and he uh, is uh, their boyfriend. Yeah. you know, he, he, hey, yeah. you know, this works for us. Um, but and these are all sort of choices. There's a shower scene. Folks. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, everybody's dirty. They had to take a shower. Um, uh, so, 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 so a lot of, a lot of interesting things and interesting ways that they sort of account for all of that stuff yeah. in this movie. Uh, digital DVD, not, not, uh, not, uh, Blu-ray. It, it, no. it is on Blu-ray. They it were is? not, they were not able to send it to us oh, okay, on Blu-ray. Good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, you want to go there? Shall I? Yeah, we got one more Halloweeny thing. Uh, Universal Classic Monsters, the complete 30 film collection. So, Universal was originally the brand that you know made monster movies. We all know that. If, mm-hmm. if you know anything about film history, you know that they Dracula, that's what they the did. Mummy, oh the yeah, Werewolf guy, Frankenstein, yada yada, all that stuff. So they have released all these films so many times. This is this is not yeah, the first 20, or for second. For 20 years they've been releasing They've just been riding this for a long time. So this is allegedly the definitive, finally the definitive collection because it's it's not just all the original monster films. It's, you know, Dracula. I mean, this is, look, come on. This is, this is 30 <laughs> films. It is a, a gorgeous a, box. It's a nice, big. Not fancy. It's, it is, it is a, there are seven Blu-ray cases in here plus a booklet with 30 films. So that's a, that's, it's, it's going to take up some space on your shelf, but it's 30 films. But they really, really go over and over and above with this. You're not just getting Dracula and Frankenstein, Mummy, the Invisible Man, Bride of Frankenstein, Werewolf of London, you know, the usual stuff. You're getting things like Son of Frankenstein, Dracula's Daughter, The Mummy's Hand, The Invisible <laughs> yeah, Woman, that. The Mummy's Tomb, The Invisible Man's Revenge, House of Frankenstein, The Mummy's Curse, uh, She Wolf of London. I mean, it, it really, and eventually, they eventually, as the people, the curators over there at Universal, they're sitting there, they're they're thinking. Yeah, why not? Okay, we'll just throw Abbott and Costello gonna, meet oh Frankenstein. God, say. Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible Man. Uh, uh, Abbott and Costello meet the Mummy. They throw those on there too. So you got which three. is which is really great because you know what? Those could make up a set all by themselves. Sure, they could. You know, so uh, you got it all. All all thirty monstery movies, uh, all jammed in here with documentaries. You even as as they have always included on every release of Dracula, you get the. Uh, the Spanish language version from 1931 that was ah, shot back yes. to back with it. Yeah. They shot on the same set, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, they would they'd shoot, shoot the one, and then they'd leave and go home, and then the Spanish crew would come in and they'd shoot, and it, you know, they it, it's really it, and it's not and it's, it's a better movie it's by it's the a way, better movie. <laughs> yeah. Glad you said it. Uh, and lots of commentaries, and uh, it's just it's really fun. So and the collectible booklet. However, most of these Blu-ray transfers are not necessarily better than what came before. They just decided to finally consolidate everything into a single set. It is possible that you might uh, wind up with um, a copy of Revenge of the Creature that is flawed. If you do, there is a replacement program, and you just have to email USHE Consumer Relations at visionmediamgmt.com. Uh, to get an updated disc. So uh, just as a warning, if you get this and you wind up with one of the flawed manufacturing discs mm. for The Creature Walks Among Us, I don't really, it's not a very good movie. You'll never watch it anyway. Yeah. But if you're a completist, um, USHE for Universal Stu- uh, Studios Home Entertainment, USHE Consumer Relations at Vision Media and then MGMT, abbreviation for management.com. Uh, and they'll send you a new disc. So not to worry, they're taking care of you. Uh, let's see. I uh, got myself a little science fiction film here called Watch the Sky from Breaking Glass. It's just a little, it's just a little, it's a, it's a neat little family film. These kids go out uh, to take some amateur video of, uh, of some stuff in the sky, and they capture something that they're not supposed to capture. Before they know it, uh, men in black and, uh, and, and, and little green men, not actually little green men, but, uh, but you know, people who might be from outer space. Uh, in the sort of traditional way, just sort of, you know, with those heads and the eyes and that kind of stuff, come looking for them. Um, and I got to tell you, as uh, little neat family films go, this one sort of sort of holds up. It's, it's the kind of thing that you would have, I don't know, uh, watched on television uh, on the Sci-Fi Channel or something like that. Uh, cute little movie. Uh, watch the sky. Not much on it. Bonus feature: one photo gallery. 
So we've got a, a bunch of interesting stuff from Arrow. And uh, most of it Arrow releasing, but also the, you know, the art film line uh, Arrow Academy, which is a separate thing. We always have to point out Arrow Academy, really interesting Arrow Academy film. But the, uh, the, five, from, the five regular ones from, from Arrow are just really great old exploitation uh, schlocky films that all have a little bit of a, a little bit of an extra special sheen to them. Uh, I am, uh, I am an, I am oddly compelled by. I don't want to say I like it, but I'm oddly compelled by the Pajama Girl case, partly because it spells pajama with a Y, the French style, P Y J A M A. So it is. It, it almost makes me want to pronounce it as uh, the Pajama Girl case. <laughs> Uh, and it starts to sound like uh, like Clouseau or something. Anyway, the this is what's the correct way to pronounce Giallo? We always have listeners that will giallo. run. I always say Giallo. Yeah, it's, it, anyway, yeah, we'll I always say Giallo, and people correct me and go, "No, it's Giallo." Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so uh, bad Italian horror movies. This is kind of this is a um, okay. So let me let me let me back up a little bit again. So as far as Jallo films are concerned, this is a really, really strange, arty, uh, unusual entry in the, uh, in, in the, ser- in the, the genre, as it were. Um, the director, uh, Flavio Morgarini, not one that I'm overly familiar with. I've seen a couple of his other films. They're usually terrible. All takes place in uh, Australia. And the, the idea here is that they find... Uh, there's a woman who's been killed. I won't tell you how she's been killed. It's rather ugly. Um, but she she's identifiable primarily because she was dressed in these pajamas, these yellow pajamas. And uh, Ray Milland has to come out of retirement to try to employ all of his ace detective skills to somehow work backwards and solve this case. And where it goes is not necessarily very logical, because which is weird because apparently there was a real life incident that inspired this and and they don't seem to hew very well closely to it but it goes in places i never would have expected it to go so i i find this a really really interesting movie it's got a great score to it as well um it it's it, it at times very uncomfortable to watch but it's really just so creatively done uh more so than i would normally expect for this genre it really stands apart uh the pajama girl case and tons of extras on here, uh, interviews and, you know, whatnot. It's just really, really fantastic. Uh, the Baby, that tells you right there. A movie called The Baby is going to be absolutely horrifying. The, the tagline, I love the tagline, what goes on in this nursery <laughs> isn't for kids. So 1972, you're coming out of, you know, Rosemary's Baby a few mm-hmm. years earlier. So, you know, everybody's afraid of babies. So why not? Uh, you know, let's let's just do another one, and it's it really it's a, it's a takeoff on that. It's it, but it it's not in a really ridiculous. Well, okay. The 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 joke here is that the baby in question mm-hmm. is a twenty one year old man. So <laughs> it's you know that's the that's the, the the twist. It's not literally. It's a he's he's twenty one years old, but he's a baby in his mind. And anyway, it's it. It's 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 rather it's bizarre and weird and uh, intentionally funny and uh, unintentionally horrifying or maybe it's the other way around I can't keep track of it anyway total psychedelic movie from the 1970s uh, actually really more funny than anything else directed by Ted Post 
who kind of specialized in these particular films. You know, Ted Post also did Beneath the Planet of the Apes and mm. Magnum Force, right? So, I mean, he's he, he's kind of, yeah, he's, he's a legit director who could make some really weird stuff. Uh, the other, last three here, Dario Argento's Deep Red is a horrible movie. Yeah. I'm going to just, I'm going to say it's out from Arrow. It's a cult film. A lot of people really like this. I am not a huge fan of Dario Argento. I think this is easily one of his worst films. I don't think this is at all. Remake uh, of uh, Suspiria. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just coming our way. Oh, uh, the re- yes, that was also at Toronto. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But in the, in the case of Deep Red, this is just you know, it's too gory for me. It's just too bloody. They're it's all too, too gory. They're it's all just too, too self conscious about all of its stuff it's doing. Uh, Day of the Jackal. Yeah, is, there's that's that's really cool. Uh, Day of the Jackal is a terrific film and uh, directed in 1971 by Frederick Forsyth, uh, based on the uh, Frederick Forsyth bestseller, uh, and uh, beautifully directed by Fred Zinneman, who, of course, did, you know, uh, From Here to Eternity the, the, uh, and, and High Noon and a lot, of the, a lot of other great, great movies. So, um, and it all t- basically is about the uh, 1962, starts with this attempt on the life of Charles de Gaulle, and from there it just goes into some really, really interesting... Um, uh, political thriller directions that you just don't see coming. It's really a sharp film. Still works, still holds up, and uh, largely, I would have to say, because of the Kenneth Ross screenplay. And Kenneth Ross is not a guy who's known far and wide for writing great screenplays. And then the last one is Horrors of Malformed Men, which is a romance. Isn't that weird? <laughs> of a title like that, you would you would you would think something otherwise. No, this is a um, this is by Teruo Ishii, who is who's what what would be the uh, the the uh, the equi- Japanese equivalent of giallo, whatever it is. Oh that's, yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, that's what it, starts it is. With the U, 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 something. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's th- he was. He's a guy that basically made a lot of those. And uh, this is a really twisted film, but it's really really well done. And it's based on the writings of Edogawa Rampo, uh, a you know the famous genre film uh, genre writer in Japan who based his name on Edgar Allan Poe. That's ah. the thing. Edogawa Rampo is like a Japanese etymology twist on Edgar Allan Poe, not his original real name. Um, but uh, this film was actually really scandalous at the time. It's uh, it's very very well done. Not usually my genre. It goes. It's a little edgy for me uh, in places where I wish it weren't edgy. But nonetheless, Hiroo Ishii is a very skilled uh, kind of exploitation genre director. And uh, uh, you know what? I mean, you know, any any movie about somebody who who escapes from an asylum, you're already good. Mm. You're good to go. So that's that's the root of this movie. Mal- Horrors of malformed men. Lots of extras on here, including two commentaries. Um, with Japanese cinema experts Tom Mess and Mark Schilling. Very, very interesting. And then there's a, uh, a video interview called Malformed Movies with Toei Exploitation Movie screenwriter Masahiro Kakefuda. And he gives you all the background on Toei and this genre and who, how these films you know, were able to make money and how they got made. And it's pretty interesting. Mm, interesting stuff. Uh, Saving Faith is a faith-based film about uh, the necessity to save a woman named Faith. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I guess I guess that's it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. And it is. It's a faith-based film. This is this woman. Her name is Faith. She runs a um, theater. Bank is going to foreclose. Her wacky uncle pulls together a bunch of his old friends who are in the music business to throw a charity concert to save Faith. 
uh, or her theater anyway. A- anyway, um, y- it's also obvious that it's uh, that it feels just like a you know an anvil on your face. It's what it feels like. It's just all so you know. And, yeah. and I'm like, really? We're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna sit right on top of it, are we? And they're like, yeah, we're gonna sit right on top <laughs> of it. <laughs> and they do. And here comes Vince Gill and and uh, uh, Amy Grant and the Gatlin brothers, all sort of face with you know. And they and they perform these beautiful songs, and that's all lovely, and the music's nice. And okay, all right, good deal. Uh, oh, the last one from Arrow. Here's the one. So here's Arrow Academy. The Arrow Academy film is The Hired Hand. If you've never seen The Hired Hand, i got to highly recommend this. So The Hired Hand was Peter Fonda's directing debut. Uh, he had done Easy Rider. This was, uh, you know, 19, about 1971. And he, he, was, he was becoming an icon. Yeah. But he went to a genre that his father was known for, right? He went to a genre that Henry Fonda had known for. He went and made a Western for his directing debut. And it's a really interesting Western. It's, a, it's one of those revisionist Westerns that we're getting at the end of the 60s and the, and the beginning of the 70s. And, you know, the history of Westerns is fascinating because it starts with all the big old shoot-em-ups in the 30s mm-hmm. and 40s, which are mostly serials and, you know, just there's lots of, lots of cowboys and engines and kind of the traditional thing. And then it gets into an interesting place in the 50s and 60s. Henry Hathaway and John Ford start giving us these really very existential metaphysical westerns mm-hmm. that are sort of meditations on the american frontier and how it disappeared and these are guys who were old enough to remember when the frontier was subsumed by the you know the industrial revolution and and cities and suddenly it went away mm. uh and by the late 60s and the early 70s we're getting westerns that are symbolic we're, mm. we're getting into that revisionist western thing oh, little big man yeah and the hired hand is one of those uh, about a guy who basically abandons his his family to go and just kind of you know explore and maybe a part of the wide open plains. And Which of course, it's a metaphor about his own dad. Exactly. Oh, no, it is. It's so much. It's so much going on, man. It's so. It's so <laughs> much going on. And then he comes back to his family to to basically get to know the daughter that he you know never knew and never really got to know and 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 to do right by his wife and. It's a it's a fascinating fascinating story. It's beautifully made. It's it's sad that Peter Fonda never really kind of pushed his filmmaking career any further because it could have been so interesting. And the thing is, this was shot by Vilmos Zygmunt mm. just uh, six years before he won his Oscar for uh, Close Encounters. And Zygmunt is one of the all time geniuses with natural light. He's oh, right. So up- Vilmos, of course, shot. Uh, he's a writer. Yes, and, uh, and, and he's just so it's, he's so brilliant in this, and uh, the, the, it's, it just looks so beautiful. Zygmunt, it, it's closer to what Zygmunt did for um, uh, for the Chimino film, Heaven Can Wait. Not Heaven Can Wait. Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate, thank yeah. you. Uh, Heaven's Gate, you know, Zygmunt's shot that as well, and it's you just the dust, the light comes yeah. through the and dust. The, the, it's the, just the, beautiful. That, that was the scale was gigantic. It's on fantastic. That one. Easy so this feels more like that. And uh, there's a, there's a great documentary on here that includes interviews with uh, Zygmunt and and uh, Bruce Langhorn who shot the score and you know this deleted scenes and a whole bo- a whole lot of other really cool stuff on here, it, especially a. Um, uh, an audio recording of uh, from uh, 1971 when the uh, when uh, at the National Film Theater when Warren Oates and Peter Fonda uh, introduced the film. It's all really really good, and uh, you even get a reversible sleeve if you want to kind of change the artwork. So it's really wonderful. Arrow Academy, The Hired Hand, good mm-hmm. film. Interesting. 
uh, in case people don't remember or don't know, Easy Rider, also a Western, Latter-day Western. It Pay is. A Western. It so is, with Tony Basil in oh, it, yeah, and Western. she's naked. In a, in a, in a Which is great, by the psycho way. Psycho sequence. Um, I got a Rama Mosley film here. Uh, I happen to know Rama Mosley, wonderful little director, directed a movie called The Brass Teapot a few years ago. This is That's called right. Lost Child. Yeah. Um, uh, sort of a, a horror thriller about a, about a soldier comes home. Um, uh, and uh, to his childhood home, he has PTSD, and he finds this boy wandering around in the woods. And, you know, takes the boy in. Weird kid. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, the, the people who talk about how the kids, uh, you know, the kid is uh, involved in some sort of evil forces that come out of the woods. <laughs> and, uh, so you know, it sort of roams around that territory. Beautiful look at movie. You know, I, not not perfect uh, by any means, but uh, moody, uh, well acted. Uh, okay. Special features include behind the scenes uh, footage. Ruby. Uh, and then John Travolta, we talked about earlier because he was in one of the uh, Punisher films. John Travolta made the horrible, horrible, dreadful mistake of wanting to play John Gotti in the movie Gotti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this thing lost its original distributor and then it uh, it bounced around with its release dates. It just, it's, it just, it's just not good. Just not good. Yeah, I, 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 at some at one point it was said that this the worst movie of the year, and then that uh, that Kevin um, Spacey movie came along, and they yeah. said that was the worst movie yeah. of the year. It, this is just unfortunate. <laughs> it's it uh, it's a well intentioned biopic of John Gotti, but it winds up doing exactly what it never should have done, which is um, turning him into an icon and a hero, and nobody needs that. Yeah. Uh, I, it, it doesn't mean to. It's just the way that it's made, it winds up doing that. And part of that is that, that Travolta's performance isn't very good. Uh, it's not modulated correctly. They never should have put such a familiar actor in the, in the part. Um, there's a lot to say about John Gotti, but it, it needs context, and this film simply doesn't have it. It's on Blu-ray and digital if you're interested. But... Uh, you know, I, I can't recommend this. This is just one of the most misbegotten films of the year. Yeah, man, oh, man, oh, man. Uh, Timothy Chalamet, who, of course, made his wonderful debut in, uh, in, in, in that film uh, uh, last year. Uh, the, the one with, uh, you know, yeah. and all that kind of yeah, anyway, yeah. Uh, uh, Call Me By Your Name. Call Me By Your Name, thank you. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and Hot Summer Nights. I wish I liked this movie more than I did, um, it's, but it's fairly standard at the end of the day. Uh, set in the 80s, Cape Cod, kid goes to uh, Cape Cod, to hang out with people who are really out of his class, and uh, you know, takes up selling weed uh, to all the sort of rich people and some of the gangsters in the town, gets in over his head, has a little love affair with a cute girl, and I don't know, it's all incredibly ordinary at the end of the day. Um, uh, so that's, you know, that's, that's, that's what I have to say about that. Special features uh, including, include an audio commentary with the director and um, yeah, a, a featurette. Yeah. And we've got a big fistful of Criterions this week. Uh, so the, here's where it starts. Uh, i got a couple from foreign directors, a Hollywood classic of old and a Hollywood classic of new. Uh, let's get the foreign stuff out of the way here first. First of all, uh, Olivier Assayas, who has slowly worked yes. his way to becoming one of the most beloved directors in the world, um, made a film in 1994 called Cold Water. Now, it was released here under the French title, Le Froide. Uh, but uh, Criterion is releasing it as Cold Water in its director-approved edition. Uh, 95 sizzling minutes. This is where it all really kind of begins, and it's semi-autobiographical. It takes place in the 1970s uh, when Assayas was growing up in Paris, and it's, uh, it's a story of just teen lovers and uh, rebellion and a little bit uh, kind of uh, James Deany rebel without a cause stuff. 
it's uh, it really is a, a, a very uh, you know I, 1994 is a period I know very very well in in France. Yeah. I went uh, that was my third year at the Cannes Film Festival, and um, th- you know it's it just it captures a place and time and it's beautifully made and it's extremely well crafted. Um, this is a 4K restoration Blu-ray release, but originally restored on 4K. Uh, supervised by Assayas. It includes a new interview with him, an interview with the cinematographer, uh, 1994 French television program on the film. It's really, really terrific. Uh, look, it's Criterion. You don't need me to recommend them. The other foreign one is much more well-known. Ingmar Bergman's Scenes from a Marriage, finally on Blu-ray, previously on DVD for a very, very long time. As with the DVD version, this includes both the uh, nearly three-hour-long theatrical version and... All five hours of the original television miniseries in uh, in Sweden. You want to know why the Swedes are a depressed people? Why is that? Because watching five hours <laughs> of a marriage falling apart is just almost too much to take. Bergman. Uh, it is just. It's so. It's so Bergman. It's just Bergman above and beyond. Anyway, uh, it, it w- this was this was really 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 devastating on television. And uh, but it's it's you know what? It's still great. It's still great. And the performances are superb. It's basically watching two actors just absolutely kill it. Uh, Liv Ullman and Erlan Josephson, who both of whom had worked with Bergman for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it, it, everyone is communicating with everyone else in this thing in just a beautiful, wonderful way. All the same original extras are here. Uh, interviews from 2003. Uh, Peter Cowie doing a, uh, an interview where he does comparisons between the two films so you, you kind of understand where the TV version lets off and the the movie picks up. It's wonderful. Then we've also got My Man Godfrey, uh, directed by Gregory LaCava, a terrific 1936 Carol Lombard, William Powell screwball comedy that is one of the definitive of the period. Uh, it's just fast dialogue, smart, smart performances. It's just, it goes a mile a minute. It's so much fun. It's 93 minutes. It blazes by in about, you know, 800 miles an hour. It's absolutely wonderful. And uh, it's just one of the best scripts you will ever, ever see. There's a 1938 Lux Radio Theater adaptation that is included in the extras. And uh, there's a new program on here, a brand new program featuring jazz and film critic Gary Giddens. It's really, really fun. But here is what Criterion has given us as a grand gift this week. Tim, Tree of Life. Ah, Mr. Malik. Tree of Life is out. This is two Blu-rays. And you know, Tim and I, we saw this film together. You, yeah. you, and my wife, and uh, and I, we we all saw it at the DGA together. And I remember, I remember, you know, I know you like to say that you're you're a big mush. I'm a big mush. I oh, cry man. when I talk about things. You were weeping in the no. middle of this movie. No, that, that I remember that 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 movie was uh, it was profound in a number of ways, particularly yep. the dynamic between Pitt and his son, between the boy and his father. Uh, you know that movie. That movie is the movie that made me wish my father was still alive. Yeah. So I could just tell him, dude, I love you too. Stop hitting me. Well, what what is uh, this? Is basically an all new version of it. There, there is a um, mm. there. Well, there, there is there. It's it's secondary. This is you. You get the one hundred and thirty nine minute film, of course, that won the Cannes Film Festival and was theatrically released. Uh, but there's also a new version of it with an additional fifty minutes of footage that is basically a new version of the film. It's not an expanded film. It's a new mm. it's a new take on the on this story and these characters that Malik just put together because he shoots more footage than any human being in 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 history. And as we all know, there were a lot of performances that got were cut out of his previous yeah. films. 
uh, Thin Red Line has entire, you know, you, you look at that and you, I mean, there are actors. Bill Pullman. Yeah, Where's Bill Pullman? He's not in the movie. He's not in the movie he's anymore. Videos, yeah. Cut him out. Uh, Adrian Brody was originally supposed to be the centerpiece of that movie, and he, he's almost a minor character. In yeah, it. So, so Malik, this moved is just, arbitrarily to Jim Caviezel. So that's what Malik does. But any, in any case, uh, lo- this is just absolutely wonderful. It is a fantastic transfer from uh, from 4K. And uh, they say it was a digital restoration. Not really a restoration. The film's too recent to be need to be restored. But mm-hmm. uh, there's a really, really great interview on here about the uh, use of classical music in it with uh, Alec Ross. And uh, it's, you know, th- there's a, a 2011 documentary on it and some wonderful stuff, new interviews. It's just great. Tree of Life in two different versions. From Criterion. Mm, well, shall I do a little Jess Franco? Yeah, yeah a little these anyway. Uh, thank you for letting me do these, Jess Franco. Um, uh, Jess Franco makes movies uh, about uh, warrior barbarian chicks in like uh, bikinis, <laughs> <laughs> sort of leather, feather, or fur bikinis, that kind of stuff. Um, the first one here, um, uh, Diamonds of Kilimanjaro. Um, uh, what can you say? Robert Forrester is in this movie, which you know that tells you something about the way a career can go. Um, uh, but it's, ne- it's kind of neat. A group of adventurers head off to the side of a primitive tribe in Africa to find the treasure of diamonds. Uh, and they're also looking for this beautiful white girl. And it says that specifically in the box, a beautiful white girl uh, who was lost years ago and made the tribe's goddess because that's what they do at white girls in Africa. Uh, they make them the goddess. Anyway, it's a lot of fun uh, and completely insane. Uh, but uh, it's Jess Franco. The other one is not actually directed by Jess. It was directed by, uh, well, he goes in the name of James Garner, but he's actually um, an Italian director named Alain Payette. Um, This, too, is is about women (laughs) raised by a a tribe of Amazon. And look, they're all the same, these movies. doesn't really make any difference what they're about. (laughs) The point of it is, it's going to be some really, really cute girls in tiny little furry bikinis. Running around, uh, fighting like warriors, and kicking ass and taking names. I used to make fun of Jess Franco, and I can't do it anymore because you know what? He was gainfully employed for yeah. years and made more movies than yeah. almost anybody else who's ever worked in any industry. So I, I can't fault him. Made a movie every 20 minutes, pretty much all the same movie. Can't fault him. Uh, I got a few from the Warner Archive collection here one on DVD, R, and the other two on Blu ray. They are all manufacture on demand. Uh, the Playboy and the Peasant is the one that's on DVD, R. Mm. This is an old MGM film based on a short story story uh that is you know this is late 30s uh late 30s period it is um it's it's fine it kind of dates a little bit um it's uh, i don't want to say it's like the 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 uh, the prince and the pauper but it kind of is it's sort of one of those you know comparisons of class and uh you know the scullery maid and and the uh all the people who have all the, they sort of fulfill all these roles that we see in things like uh, Downton Abbey and upstairs, yeah. downstairs. And, you know, it, 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 it meant to sort of give uh, Depression-era audiences something to look at, see themselves in, something to hope for. Um, it's, it's an okay film. Um, based, on, uh, based on the uh, 1936 Austrian film Catherine the Last as well. Um, uh, so, you know, it's... Uh, it's fine. You know, you're watching this basically for, for just the kind of nostalgia of the period. Um, the two Blu-rays, the ones I really, really want to talk about, The uh, the Naked and the Dead is an old Technicolor oh, yeah. uh, melodrama war film. Uh, what I love about this is they went and they took a, a chunk of the old poster, the original poster, and they built that onto the artwork for the cover. Oh, so yeah. it's using 
that, and this is what was really interesting. They used to do this a lot at the time. So the title of the film plays into the tagline. The, the name of the film is The Naked and the Dead. But the tagline, which they adjust to the top, is The Bigness and the Boldness of the, <laughs> the Naked, naked and, and the, the Dead. dead. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's great. That's clever. It's so clever. It's really, really fantastic. This was an RKO film directed by Rebel Walsh, who, of course, did many Ooh. great macho movies and, uh, and, and war films. And uh, it's based on a Norman Mailer novel. Uh, screenplay by, let me point out, uh, my old film school uh, instructor, my first instructor in film school, co- yeah. co-wrote the screenplay. Terry Sanders with oh. his uh, with his late brother Dennis. Oh. Uh, so Terry Sanders co-wrote this and co-adapted it. Terry would go on to win an Academy Award for a short film and has done many fine documentaries. Um, but yeah, you know, it's a uh, it's just uh, it's a little bit like the uh, the Big Red One. Raymond Massey and Cliff Robertson, uh, f- you know, n- disagreeing on how to run the platoon. All takes place during the war in the Pacific. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's Aldo Ray and James Best. There's just a lot of great faces in here. L.Q. Jones, Richard Jekyll. It's a oh, good Richard film. Jekyll. It's a good film. Uh, it's a late 1950s film, and uh, it's really, really solid. Raul Walsh can do no wrong in my eyes. The Last Hunt uh, with Robert Taylor and Stuart Granger. Uh, I have a funny Stuart Granger story as well. Uh, this is a Western. Uh, it's a perfectly serviceable Western. Beautifully shot. Wonderful, wonderful um, uh, cinema uh, Technicolor uh, Cinemascope uh, Cinematography Very nicely done uh, Robert Taylor Not necessarily My favorite actor uh, Stuart Granger I, uh, Here's my Stuart Granger story So when I was a, An usher At the National Theater Once I remember Stuart Granger uh, Coming up to the um, uh, The manager Of the theater mm. And basically Trying to get him free <laughs> and, and, uh, and it was a very Awkward conversation The uh, y- y- You know The manager said Yes How can I help you And he said Well I'd, uh, I'd like to come And see the movie which was his way of saying, I'm, I'm a star. You're supposed to let me in free. You're yeah. supposed to give me privilege. And he said, well, you can buy a ticket, and then I can let you in ahead of the line. And I was like, oh. Which is actually pretty nice. Which is, I guess, pretty nice. But it's still, I don't know if I would have had the, the, the cones to sort of you know, yeah. talk to Stuart Granger that way. I'm not sure the manager even knew who Stuart Granger was. Yeah. Uh, he knew he was somebody. But in any case, uh, so there you go. Um, This was all shot in uh, Custer State Park in North Dakota, and, uh, you know, it's uh, it's, it's a Western. What do you want? Uh, It's got all kinds of Native Americans played by people who aren't Native American, but it's perfectly perfectly (laughs) enjoyable. It's just beautifully shot. It's not a great film, Uh, but it's really all about the photography, and the Blu-ray does a great job of it. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Solo, a Star Wars story, which is about three-quarters of a pretty good movie, three-quarters of a pretty good Western. He ain't Harrison Ford. But he's no Harrison he's Ford. He's no Harrison he, Ford. He, the, the weird thing is, uh, all of these people are by measure actually physically smaller and less, oh, not just imposing, but um, uh, they, they, they physically don't have the stature right. of the people that they're playing. Yeah. So, you know, Donnell Glover here playing uh, Lando Calrissian, Billy yeah. Williams. Billy Williams like six foot two. Yeah. Played play Gail Sayers and Brian, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Donald Glover is like you know, f- you know, five feet tall or something. Yeah. I don't know, whatever. But it's yeah, ridiculous. It's, it's same, same thing with Aaron. Aaron you yeah. know, he's, he's a perfectly nice guy and everything with the chin, the jaw, and all. He's like five ten. Yeah, Harrison Ford six four. Yeah, and you can feel the literal actual weight not there with yeah, these guys. And then there's the way they play it uh, in this movie. Yeah, I, I don't like these guys. <laughs> I like, I love my, you yeah, know, my, my, my these, but, the, but these characters here in this movie, I don't like this guy. None of these people would be friends. So, Chewbacca is okay. Uh, he, well, but, you know, but, you yeah. know, no. 
you just put a guy in a suit. Yeah. Here's here's kind of my fundamental problem with this is you you're building this film around things that were hinted at in Star Wars previously. Mm. And what was fun when you hear them talking about all this stuff that happened, you know, previously. Remember Chewie when we did this and that and the other thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, you know, the, 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 with the what's-it-run. Yeah. Which becomes the centerpiece of yeah, this thing. Yeah. Two parsecs or something. Yeah. And, and that's fun because we fill that in with our imagination. Mm -hmm. It's a second-hand kind of shorthand that they're using with each other and you're like and you, and you feel like they're kind of winking at you mm -hmm. now we are literally filling in all the blanks yeah so now i can't watch star wars and hear those references without thinking without of this movie. to think about something that's and, not particularly engaging in this I movie i don't really appreciate that yeah didn't need it you know so, like, one but good the chase, chase scene, scene. The, the, but yeah. the, the uh the uh the train the, the train, the, the train yeah. rocket kind of thing that's yeah. a great sequence yeah. that's uh, a great and, sequence uh, uh ultra dd uh, ultra 4k hd blu-ray eight deleted scenes uh director's round table, uh, Becoming a Droid, into the, all kinds of stuff on this, on the Blu-ray, uh, for you to check out and get behind the movie, if you happen to be a super fan of the Star Wars a series. Uh, from Flickr Alley, we have another great Blu-ray. It's a classic noir, The Man Who Cheated Himself. Uh, this, is a, this, is one of the, the, this is one of those great noirs that just um, kind of disappears, because there are so many noirs that are loaded with stars, we, we tend to kind of focus on everything that has Bogart or... Uh, or, or Cagney or whoever it might be, uh, but this is a this is a really really terrific one. Uh, shot in on on location in San Francisco and just lots of it just really you know Lee J Cobb just kills it as a homicide detective and great twists and turns in this thing. Uh, this was one of those perfect Warner Brothers noirs from the late noir period in 1950. Um, so it's getting. It's getting a little bit less uh, Chandler and a little more Kane, ah, if that makes sense. Yes, but yes, anyway, yes, it's yes, a yes. great movie. Um, wonderful restoration from the uh, UCLA Film and Television Archives, part, part of the Film Noir Foundation series through Flickr Alley. You've got to get it. Uh, it's got a bunch of uh, extras on it as well, mostly trailers and featurettes and then a souvenir booklet, but it's a really good Blu-ray. Mm, neat. Uh, as we approach Halloween, here's a pretty decent little movie, Found Footage 3D. This is a neat little horror film. I like to sort of concede that it's a horror film. So you have these people. And what they're about to do is uh, do the first found footage film, horror film, made from all 3D images, right? Yep. Uh, so it's a fake film, a uh, uh, found footage film, shot on 3D. They hire this guy to shoot the behind the scenes of their making of this found footage film. So you got a found footage film with a guy making a documentary about the found footage film in 3D, right? Yep. In the guy's documentary, his behind-the-scenes documentary, an evil spirit starts to show up and kill the people making the found footage film. So you've got this sort of like ultra-meta layered little thing going on here, a 3D film with found footage. And then this found footage, you got this guy who's killing the people making that film because this guy is making the behind-the-scenes. Anyway, it's kind of, it, yeah, it's like that. Um, it's actually kind of fun. What's neat is this. 3D retro glasses are included in this Blu-ray pack, and it also says no 3D glasses are necessary to watch these films. So I think that's they give you the glasses and tell you don't actually need them. Uh, it's 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 kind of neat commentary with the director Stephen D. Gennaro and a couple of the producers. It is fun though. Check it out. Found footage, 3D. And uh, then we got a couple of, uh, a little more in the magical supernatural realm, a couple of Blu-rays. Demi Moore's The Seventh Sign, 
I don't remember liking anything about this movie, yeah. and it's um, it was kind of in that that late '80s moment when she, you know, the, it, like it's we're around Ghost at this mm-hmm. time too, mm-hmm. and she's got she's sort of in she's got such star power she could do anything, and for some reason she decided to do this, and uh, I, I don't know, it's one of those it's one of those supernatural apocalypse movies that just doesn't really hang together. Um, Carl Schultz directed it. Don't I don't even remember who Carl Schultz was. Uh, Ted Field, who you know was was one of the producers on it. Robert Court. I mean, a lot of people who were kind of figures from that time. Yeah. Uh, there's a you know a few extras on here. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it, it has in fact oddly become something of a cult classic among why. people who like those sort of you know. I remembered at the time. Rosemary's Babies kind of things like that. What I but, liked about it was Demi Moore was cute as hell. I was much more favorably inclined toward a movie that everyone else also hated, Hocus Pocus. Which yeah. is out in a uh, yeah. an anniversary edition now. Uh, look, the only thing I like about Hocus Pocus is it, this is a little bit like uh, Charmed on television, mm-hmm. except it has uh, three actresses who are more experienced, two of them much less attractive. Yeah, <laughs> and better actresses. Uh, Bette Midler, young, Sarah, young, young Sarah Jessica Parker, young Sarah Jessica Parker, along with Bette Midler and Kathy Najimy, uh, all done up, just kind of doing the. Uh, Doing a really, they're just chewing the scenery as witches. It's it, it, this was a Disney film, and it was meant to be overboard and and silly, and uh, you know the, the trying to these women are trying to sort of get their youth back, casting spells and and you know it, whatever. It's fine. You're watching. You're basically watching this for three actresses just uh, just chewing the scenery, and most most of that is Bette Midler because mm. Bette Midler acts so infrequently at the time when this movie is made that she just she she puts about five movies worth of performance into it. Anyway, this comes with a whole bunch of extras on it, um, mostly kind of deleted scenes and trivia, and you know, uh, there's a cast and crew commentary which is all kind of edited together, storyboards, and the original 1993 featurette. But it's still a fun film. Yeah, I, like they made another one. It was a Hocus Pocus too. Yeah, uh, that's how good that was. The X Files, the complete 11th of seasons, with 90 minutes of new content on Blu-ray. Uh, including a twenty-five, a twenty-fifth year um, um, uh, retrospective uh, of the original series. So this is the eleventh series, eleventh uh, season, ten episodes, three discs, um, where they more or less try to reboot the, se- the series. You know, Scully, Mulder. Uh, still trying to find the truth because the truth is still out there. <laughs> and it always will be. <laughs> it damn sure always will be as long as they can make these movies. Yeah. I'll, t- I'll say this, Dana Scully looks great in this. Uh, uh, and They're mostly looking for their son across these ten episodes. Their son is out there. Somebody else is looking for their son. The same questions. Uh, it, there are a few moments across these ten that are really, really funny. Two or three episodes that, that really were interesting to me. One or two episodes, which sort of tied some things up that, that went back to those earlier seasons and spoke to some stuff that I thought was pretty neat. All in all, was it necessary to do a complete 11th season of The X-Files? No. No, no it was not. No. no. No, it was not. But there it is for you anyway. Uh, 90 minutes of uh, new content on the Blu-ray. Uh, so we got a couple from CBS and Paramount. Uh, the fourth season of NCIS New Orleans. Can't believe that's made it to a fourth season, but uh, you know we were just talking about him today, weren't we, Tim? Oh my goodness, yes, Scott, Scott Bakula. Yeah, Scott Bakula. I forgot who, about that one. He just anchored. We know we were talking about all the shows that yeah. Scott Bakula. Just yeah. plug him we're into back one to show. Quantum Leap, Enterprise. Mm-hmm. I forgot all about this one with the New Orleans. Action, just, yeah. You plug him into a show, and somehow it becomes viable. So we wanted to do a new NCIS. Who, uh, what TV actor has not worked in uh, in a minute and a half? Scott Bakula. Plug him in. Next thing you have a show. 
but you know what? It's it's just like all the rest of them, except it has New Orleans as a backdrop, and they throw, do a lot of special New Orleans stuff in it. Anyway, fourth season, just like all the others. This is the one I don't get. Uh, Dynasty. They rebooted Dynasty. 22 episodes, yeah. season one, with Grant Show playing Blake Harrington. Yeah, Grant okay. from the original Melrose Melrose Place. Place. So uh, Grant's lost his looks a little bit, but he looks kind of like John Forsythe yeah. after he lost his looks. After he still, lost his looks, yeah. 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 So uh, I guess we need we need this again, do no. we? No. no, we don't. No, we don't. No, we don't. Okay. No, anyway, yeah. doesn't really work. I, I I was actually surprised this even existed when this when this showed up in in the mail. I was like, they rebooted Dynasty. Yeah. How did I not yeah. know that? Yeah. Well, I don't you know, they rebooted Dallas a few years ago. Well, they that, extended they it. They extended it. Wasn't, it. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't a reboot. It was, it was, it was, the, it was the new generation, and then yeah. Larry Hagman had the temerity to go and die on it. Yeah, him. and they were like, oh, well, he screwed it. Yeah. Larry. Um, Gifted, the complete first season. I watched this uh, season of, of Gifted. Uh, Gifted is um, uh, includes characters from the uh, from the X Men universe, uh, and generally speaking, it's about this family who finds out that their kids have mutant abilities, or they're, 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 we're just beginning to find out that we live in a world where people have mutant abilities, and and those organizations start to, to crop up, uh, run by the government, who have to gather together these mutants. And this family, uh, headed by a guy who runs one of those organizations, finds out that their two children have these abilities and have to go on the run. You know, this was an okay series. Uh, uh, arcing toward the young, I think, um, uh, rather than toward uh, more adult um, entertainment-inclined uh, um, uh, superhero watchers. But I, I thought it was pretty cool. I rather enjoyed it. Uh, this is a three-disc set uh, with the entire complete first season. So, uh, Midsummer Murders, series 20. So... If you really honestly need for me to describe what happens in Series 20 of Midsummer Murders, you're out of your mind. <laughs> it's been on the air 20 seasons of this thing. Uh, six mysteries here. It continues to be pretty much the same thing it's always been on Blu-ray. There's one I want to mention in particular, which is the uh, mystery Send in the Clowns, which has evil clowns. Evil clowns. <laughs> it's, got, it's come to this. After 20 years with the circus comes to town, and we got evil, evil clowns. It's fantastic. And then uh, also want to make quick mention before we run out of time of uh, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, the complete third season, which is great because it has a great old fabulous uh, crossover episode with Flash and Supergirl and Arrow. Yeah, uh, I it's, love that it's, the, it's, the, it's this epic. It's this epic one that I it's it, it's really good. And Legends somehow, of Tomorrow has got to be the dumbest among. It's these a dumb series. show, but that crossover but that crossover is great. Yeah. So uh, that's terrific and. Um, I guess with that, we are done. So, uh, Mark, we should point out. Yes. Mark is coming back to town. Yes. Mark just got a job. It's his old job. He's been <laughs> temporarily hired back at his old job for, for three months. So, Mark is going to be in L.A. for three months. So, we're going to have him guest on the show a few times. Yep, yep. And uh, we'll have more on that next week. <laughs> Thank you.